to maintain a relationship. The virtue to be called upon and which God will enable us to exhibit is one translated variously in the Bible, but it is often called forbearance. And here again, we come with another word that we don't use often in our vocabulary. What do we mean, forbearance? It's a champion in maintaining relationships. And it's a logical choice of subjects in a series on building up the body of Christ and influencing the world around us. We want to try to come to understand today a little more of what it means to live a life in forbearance or of forbearance. It's, it's, it's an incredible virtue. So in order to do this, we're going to begin by trying to gain a biblical understanding of what the faithful forbearance of God looks like. Because we all need this, my friend. We won't be packed for a long trip if we don't have forbearance as part of our portfolio, in our luggage, in our heart, in our spirit, and lived out in the way we live our lives. What does the forbearance of God look like? Well, among other things, it looks like timely restraint. That's the prophet's direction. Sometimes God's mercy appears to be even restrained. Upon reviewing God's marvelous acts in the past, like the deliverance from Egypt through Moses, and the dividing of the waters, and the rest God gave them in the wilderness, you know, the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day, and the marvelous provision of manna, All Israelis knew about God being good and merciful. But listen to the question they ask him. Listen to the comment they make. When you read Isaiah chapter 63, verse 15, look down from heaven and see from your lofty throne. So they had an understanding of the transcendence of God, that God was big. Holy and glorious, they referred to him by name. Where is your zeal and might? Your tenderness and compassion are are withheld from us. Calvin cites this kind of confession is the great difference between believers and unbelievers. In fact, listen to the way Martin Luther translated the last phrase of that verse where it reads, your tenderness and compassion are withheld from us. Martin Luther said, thy great compassion and loving kindness deal harshly with me. What is he getting at? He didn't doubt the mercy of God. He just wondered from time to time where it was. He wanted to see evidence of it once in a while. And therein lies the difference between faith and no faith, believers and not believers. We all are going to question where God is sometimes. Where are you when I need you? We've been there. Where are you when I call upon you? But those who believe know that even though they can't sense his presence and can't see evidence of his presence at a given time in their lives, he's still there. In spite of how it may look, he is there. As Francis Schaeffer said, he is there and he is not silent. He's there. Sometimes we learn about God when it appears as though he's not there. He will at times use what appears to be absence or avoidance to further his purpose within us. These are painful experiences, but they're faith-building experiences. I've told you before about uh, 
my friend in California who owns a large ranch, and they grow a lot of, a lot of everything. They, they, they grow it, they pick it, they pack it, they ship it. One day our senior pastor, where I served in Fresno, California, was out at Ed's ranch, his good friend Ed. And he looked upon row after row after row of tomato plants. And they seemed as though they were dying in that hard pan desert environment of central California. The plants were all drooped over and wilting and they looked like they were half dead. And G.L. Johnson, the pastor, said, Ed, you've got to do something to help these plants. I don't know a lot about gardening, but I know you've got to water these plants. They're about to die. They're, 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 they look like they're next to death. And Ed says, oh, no, 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 not yet. Not yet. We know they look like they're going to die. We know they're wilted. But we let these plants send their taproot deep into the soil looking for moisture. Then we water them. Because when that taproot has gone deep into the soil, we're going to have a healthier plant. That's the way it is. And so it is with us. So it is with us. God at times seems to restrain his presence, his mercy. And that's faith building. Now to be sure, we need to check our condition. There are times in our lives when we have and will grieve the Holy Spirit. I'm told in the New Testament there that it's possible for us to quench the Holy Spirit. And if we have either grieved him or quenched him, we need to repent. And that's why we have such marvelous statements in the Bible, such as 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we've grieved or quenched the Holy Spirit, that can be remedied. But if we haven't, and it seems as though God is absent, that God is restraining his mercy in our lives, we need to know it's a faith-building time. We need to know that he works by appearing to restrain his mercy, but he's there. The word translated forbearance carries with it the idea of restraint. God practices forbearance in the form of restraint. Sometimes, and this is good news, as the other was too, but this is more fun to hear. Sometimes his judgment is restrained. Let me read a couple of verses for you that illustrate that. Romans 2.4. Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness? Tolerance. It's the word forbearance right there, tolerance. And patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance. Let me read it, another verse that makes it even more clear, Romans 3.25. God presented him, Christ, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. Listen, he did this to demonstrate his justice. Because in his forbearance, in his restraint, he had left sins committed beforehand un. Listen to God speaking in Isaiah chapter 42. For a long time I've kept silent. That's forbearance. I've been quiet, held myself back. I've restrained myself. That's forbearance. But now like a woman in childbirth, I cry out. I gasp and pant. What this verse shows us is the end of restraint as well as the presence of restraint. The word translated forbearance in the New Testament carries with it the idea 
of restraint. Not only that, but forbearance also looks like faithful endurance. Now there's a difference between restraint and endurance. Restraint is holding back. Endurance is holding on. It's, uh, it's staying with, it's hanging with someone or something. God's endurance is undeniable in the Old Testament as well as the New. Listen to this verse from Psalm 52.1. The loving kindness of God endures all day long. That's good news. In fact, what are we told in Psalm 23? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. We talked about Psalm 23 here one Sunday morning. We, uh, we told you what the word translated loving kindness is in the, in the uh, Old Testament. It's the word chesed. And it's an incredible virtue that is only used of God. And if it's ever used of man, it's used of man describing him with God-like temperament or God-like character. This loving kindness, it endures with us. This is God's endurance. Listen to um, Job. God does speak, now one way, now another. Sometimes they interpret that first and then, uh, for once and then twice. Though man may not persuade, persuade, uh, perceive it. Listen to Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. God was putting up with what was Jonah was going through. He was enduring Jonah's fog. And then in Peter, we're told, God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. God was enduring. God was practicing forbearance. You want to see a vivid statement of it in Jesus' ministry? Remember the little boy that was demon-possessed and the disciples didn't seem to be able to do anything about it and Jesus heard that they hadn't done anything about it? What did he say to them? He said to them, how long will I be with you? How long will I put up with you? How long will I endure your lack of faith? The point is made. The word translated forbearance sometimes suggests endurance. These are divine qualities. So you might ask, okay, so much about God. What does this have to do with me? Well, it's helpful, isn't it not? It's reassuring and insightful to know what kind of God we're dealing with. And likewise, it's helpful to know what kind of us God is dealing with. It's good to know that God restrains himself. It helps us to understand when the heavens seem as though they're brass and our prayers are just bouncing off. It's good to know that he's a God who endures, especially the next time we make a mistake, the next time we sin. It's helpful also because it gives us an idea of what kind of people we ought to be. What does God call us to be? Godly. What does it mean to be godly? It means that we begin to take on godly characteristics, godly virtues. Will we be God? No. But the idea is to become more like God, to become conformed to the image of his Son. So this thing of timely restraint and faithful endurance, that's forbearance, and it ought to be part of our lives. In the way we relate to other people, and in the way we relate to the Scripture, and the way we relate to experience in life. It's a pretty exciting prospect when you think about it. That God could help us restrain ourselves, God could help us endure. 
So, what about the faithful forbearance of God's people? What does that look like? Well, the operative question, and the operative question is, what is it that God has in mind for us? What is He willing and eager, even determined, to help us become? I'm here to tell you categorically today, God is eager for us to become more like Him. That's the game plan. That's the reason he doesn't just pack us up and take us home when we come to him. He leaves us here to begin to reflect his nature, to reflect his character. What does it look like practically when we're all grown up and we look like him in our ability to practice forbearance? Well, among other things, it looks like timely restraint and faithful endurance. It looks like the ability to accept what is right. It looks like the ability to sit, sit still for the truth. Follow me now. We ask, wouldn't everyone always want the truth? You'd think so, wouldn't you? But is it really true? It's not the case. Two statements tell the tale on this. They're made to two different recipients at two different times and in two different places. One is cynical and one is prophetic. Listen to them. Some people prefer smooth talkers rather than solid truth. Like the Corinthians. Listen to what it says. If someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it, easily enough, negative, negative things, cynically stated, you show forbearance toward error good, well enough. Paul says, I do not think I'm in the, least in, in the least inferior to these super apostles, he calls them. See, there was a game that went on amongst a lot of people in that day. They loved to play verbal gymnastics. They loved to debate and argue and so forth. And the Corinthians were beginning to bear the wrong message, the message of error, and they were beginning to accept it too well. They were showing forbearance toward it too well. They were gullible. They were undiscerning. And how tragic. But it's not uncommon today. Look at how much error runs around the world in Jesus' name. Look at the next verse. First, as I said, was stated cynically. The next is stated prophetically. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. For the time will come when men will not put up with, they will not endure, they will not show forbearance, with sound doctrine. They won't hang with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Prophetic? Absolutely. Fulfilled? Absolutely. I can remember when I was in my first year at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, I met a student one day who was in his last year. And he was quite excited because in his last year, he was invited to be the pastor of a little Presbyterian church in downtown Chicago. And he thought, what an opportunity. This church with such a history, and I get to go there and share week to week the word of God with them. You know, they kicked him out. They didn't want the word of God. They weren't used to the word of God. Their criticism of his, him was there's too much Bible in your preaching. How can that be? His predecessor literally read the Chicago Tribune, made a few social comments on it, and that was his sermon. And Rich went there, 
full of anticipation, full of vim, vigor, and vitality, and full of all that schooling he just received. He knew how to exegete a passage. He knew how to, how to deal with the Greek. He knew how to deal with the Hebrew. He knew how to deliver the goods. And they didn't want it. Puts me in mind of what Peter says. Time will come when they'll not put up. They'll not endure. They'll not show forbearance towards sound doctrine. The biblical picture is to wisely accept truth. We can apply it to people and relationships as well. Forbearance is to wisely accept people and the wisdom they share with us about life like we do God's word when it is in agreement with God's word. So based upon what we've heard thus far, we should have a good idea of the latitude behind this word translated sometimes forbearance. It includes timely restraint, holding back. It includes faithful endurance, holding on, or staying with someone or something. And it includes wise acceptance. Acceptance of the truth. When hanging with truth rather than error. But let's continue one more notch here to develop this what this forbearance looks like practically in a follower's life. It looks like even putting up with bad circumstances brought on because of our faith. Like God, it is enduring the willfulness of those who are against the truth or yet do not understand it. Observe Paul's counsel to Timothy, if you will, in light of Timothy preaching to those with itching ears, those who would not endure sound doctrine. What does he say to them, to, to, to Timothy, in uh, 2 Timothy 4 or 5? But you, Timothy, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. It means that we put up with bad circumstances. It's enduring the willfulness of those who are against the truth. It means we put up with a lot. With a lot. Listen to this. The Apostle Paul again, describing his own circumstances. The one who calls us to show forbearance has this to say. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We're in rags. We're brutally treated. We're homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we're cursed, we bless. When we're persecuted, we, catch this, we endure it. We show forbearance. When we're slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. And we thought being a Christian meant to get all cleaned up and go to church and look pretty. It means to live a life in the trenches that honors God and looks God like God. That's what it really means. To look like God in our behavior. To behave like God. Will we do that perfectly? No, but we ought to do it better and better all the time because the Holy Spirit will not leave us alone. And we better be thankful that he won't. He's working to get us cleaned up to look like what we profess to be. Let me tell you a story where you have to live a life of endurance. It's in these Muslim countries. This comes from Dr. Pat's News Service 2000 newsletter. Uh, this is the July 2014 issue. Let me read it to you. Bullied and beaten in school, 
learning to love his enemies rather than hate, bearing his burdens and overcoming them, Morgan, probably not his right name, has grown into a godly man. Morgan is the son of our co-worker, Pastor Jack. Morgan's torments began when he was six years old, since he was the only Christian in his class and was targeted by Muslim bullies who had been taught to hate and abuse Christians. Dr. Pat says, I was there when he came home in tears one day, vowing never to go back to school. <clears throat> His father wanted to take Morgan's pain away, but knew that life for a Christian in Egypt meant discrimination and abuse. The only thing Jack could do for his son was to teach that Christians must forgive and love their enemies. Morgan did go back to school and let the love of Christ shine through him. It wasn't long, catch this, it wasn't long before his chief tormentor became his best friend. Today, Morgan is in college learning the trade that will allow him the opportunity to share Christ. He also works with children in an exclusive club with rooms for various sports and swimming. The owners are Muslim, but they showed no discrimination toward Morgan. That's what we're called to, to live a life of forbearance. Somebody said, wait a minute, you don't know me. I can't do that. I've got a short fuse. Maybe true. There are probably a lot of people here with short fuses. <clears throat> but remember something. Forbearance is a grace which can be developed. Forbearance is a grace which can be developed. If we'll just stick around, if we'll cooperate with God, he will help us grow a longer fuse. What, the, what else does forbearance look like? Well, it looks like learning to get along with each other. It looks like improving interpersonal relationships that have gone south or never were strong to begin with. Now, there are some people who don't think this should be necessary. They think we're out of line talking like this about things like this in the church. Christians ought to just get along, right? Well, yeah, right. But have you ever been disappointed? Have you ever been slightly offended? Have you ever been deeply hurt? Have you ever been nearly done in by another believer? Yes or no? Sort of settles it. I think the answer is yes. For most of us, we've had some bad experiences together. Anybody given the right circumstances at the right time can let their humanity take charge and emotionally decimate another believer. That doesn't make it right, and it cannot be endorsed, but it happens too often. So we need to do some things. If we're going to grow up and be godly and look godly, we need to practice forbearance with one another. We need to take a look at biblical counsel. We need to ask why it was given. It was because Christians even then were also human. That's why they were counseled to show forbearance, because there was the possibility they wouldn't. So where do we get off thinking we somehow have to be any different? We're just like they were. And that, next, we need to decide to follow the biblical direction that's given. And the Bible calls us to this categorically, my friend, categorically. Listen to these words. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and beloved, 
Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Listen for the kicker here. Bear with each other. Show forbearance toward one another. That's the sense. That's the word. And forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Then from Ephesians 4, 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. This is the legacy of a heart filled with the Spirit of Christ. We face choices all the time to live up to our potential, allowing the Holy Spirit to carry us through rough times, or to live down to our, to our humanity and sin as though it were going out of style. Those are the choices we face. The proper way to deal with different relationships is forbearance. To endure. You know what we're really talking about here? We're talking about love. Love, what is it? It's doing what has to be done. How does love respond to adversity in a relationship? Forbearance. At times it looks like timely restraint, holding back. At times it looks like faithful endurance, holding on. At other times it looks like wise acceptance. Hanging with, receiving the person, like when we hang with God's word rather than error. It's a tall order. Come on. It's a tall order and we're only human. But we also have the Holy Spirit within us so we can get over this human thing. We can live beyond ourselves. When we're walking in the Spirit, that's exactly what we're we're doing. We're living beyond our human capacity to love, to express joy, to live in peace, to have long-suffering toward one another, to be gentle. You know the nine virtues, uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit. So what I'd like to do today as we wrap things up is just give what I think, what I hope, will be some helpful direction for implementing this more intentionally and more purposefully in our lives. Because we can get sleepy. We can fall asleep at the switch. We can forget about some of the virtues that are supposed to characterize us. And this is one of them. So here's what I'd like to ask all of us to do. Three things. Think of a person you have a hard time with in your relationships. You might be sitting next to them. Don't point. Think of a person you might have a hard time with in your, in your relationships. Now, think of an oyster. Yeah, an oyster? Yeah, think, bear with me. Think of an oyster and one of the chief irritants to an oyster. What is it? Sand. And what's the ultimate result of sand in an oyster? Pearls, right? Now, in light of that, we got somebody that's trying to make pearls in our life and we don't particularly want them. Let's do these things. In fact, let me put them in the form of an acronym. I'm stretching on this, but bear with me. An acronym that might help us, might give us some direction. It spells the word sand. S, see that person in your life as God's means of doing something meaningful in your life. You say, no, they're giving me a lot of grief. No, they're doing something meaningful in your life. See that person as God's means of doing something meaningful in your life. Secondly, accept the person as God's means of working in your life. Accept the person. 
It's one thing to see it, still not want it. It's another thing to see it and say, okay, I'll take it. I'll accept it. We cannot afford the mentality which says, I don't need this. Because what we really mean when we're saying that is, I don't want this. Accept that person. The end, note, I'm stretching, note that God has been patient, loving and accepting and forgiving of us. And then D, do a helpful deed for that person who irritates you. Say, not on your life. Oh yes, on your life. If we want to deepen and grow in our relationship, this is one of the ways to do it. This is the practical way of implementing forbearance. A life of timely restraint, faithful endurance, and wise acceptance regarding others, even the irritators in our lives. Tall order. Can't back down from it. This is that to which God calls us so that we can verify and illustrate the grace of God toward others. Let me tell you a quick story about Christopher Reeve. He was the guy that played Superman, if you know. When that movie first came out, he was frequently asked, what is a hero? Reeve's answer at that time was this. A hero is someone who commits a courage, is committed to a courageous action without considering the consequences. Sounds good. Later on, maybe after he'd had his own accident, but later on, changed his definition. He said he thought completely different about it. Here's what I think a hero is, he said. I think a hero is an ordinary individual who finds strength to persevere and endure in spite of of overwhelming obstacles. Let's be heroes for Christ. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we too, albeit to be honest with you, reluctantly sometimes, we too want to make the most of friendship. And because of that, we've got to make the most of forbearance. It's an issue we don't talk about a lot, but it doesn't lessen its importance. Help us in our relationships, especially with those with whom we have difficulty, to practice forbearance. Timely restraint, faithful endurance, wise acceptance. Bless our lives for Jesus' sake. Help us, Lord, to be good advertisements for what you do with yielded lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. We're going to wait upon you for the Lord's tithe and your offering. I'll be back in just a moment with some announcements. But let me remind you to put your connection card in the offering, please. If you're a guest with us, we ask you to do that as well so we can get better acquainted with you. Whether you're a guest or, a first, or you regularly visit or worship here, we ask you to take advantage of the connection card and let us know how we can be praying for you during, during the week. And we do that. In our staff meeting on Wednesdays, we try to take time out to pray for all the needs that are represented on these connection cards. I'll be back in just a moment. <clears throat> Thank mm-hmm. you.
folder or not, but there's a piece in there that, um, you remember last week I talked about the one another passages, I said there were at least 15 of them, here they are, we've, we've put them in an insert form for you, you can actually use this in your devotional time, I've done it myself, the title of this little piece is a self-inventory of my interpersonal relationships with my Christian brothers and sisters, the one another passages. And I work through this, and then I rank myself, and that's what this is designed for. How well do I do here? You can read the verses and go over it and over it and over it, if you like, and get them well cemented into your mind. But we give you this as encouragement to you. Now, we want you to know there's, there will be a benevolent offering taken after the service this morning. They'll be waiting in the back for that. That goes to help people who are in greater need than we are in the community. We'd encourage you to be generous toward that. And uh, there's pastoral candidate information in your box. If you haven't gone to your mailbox of late, Matt Miklosh will be here next Friday. He'll be here for the whole weekend. There's a weekend schedule in the bulletin. We want you to meet Matt and his family and get acquainted with them. Uh, I think you're going to be very encouraged. And um, the semi-annual meeting, including the pastoral vote, will be Sunday and July the 27th at uh, 11 a.m. And then also remember, if you will, the Corn Carnival sign-ups on the ministry board in the commons area of the church. Be sure to sign up so we can make that a successful event once again this year. Lord, help us to be people who show the forbearance 
of God. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Victory?